a sigh says so much, doesn't it? Take a big sigh with me. A sigh says so much. What's been causing you to sigh lately? Shout it out if you have something. What's been causing you to sigh lately? Work, 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 work. Illness. Work again. Weather. (laughs) Kids, headaches. This is kind of the same thing sometimes. Kids and headaches. Not always. Good reports from doctors. Absolutely. Sigh of relief. Yeah. Sunsets. Yeah. Kylie just told me to take a deep breath because I showed her my pulse was 120 and she didn't want me to pass out. So she said, take a deep breath. So that caused me to sigh. It's a lot of reasons we might sigh. A lot of reasons we might sigh. Sometimes from relief. Absolutely. Other times, it's from this deep place of worry where where we're so overwhelmed and we're so overburdened and we're just stressed to the max that sometimes sighing is really the only thing we can do because we don't know what else to do. So we sigh, just, just longing for that to bring some kind of relief or some kind of answer. I feel like my kids make me sigh a lot. I do. I have three kids. They're, they're young and energetic, and, and sometimes they just say or do something, and you just look at them, and you just <sighs> sigh. Have you ever sighed at your spouse? Hus- husbands, have you ever sighed at your wife? It's a miracle of God you're here today to tell the tale. Don't sigh at your spouse. Do not sigh at your wife. It won't end well for you. But, but, have you ever sighed with your spouse? Have you ever sighed with, with your close friend? Have you ever sighed with your family? Because that's different, isn't it? That's a, oh man, it's a sigh of deep care. It's a sigh of shared burdens. The sigh of being in it together. And you're now sighing for all this talk about sighing. Well, buckle up, because today is all about a sigh. We're in week seven of our series, Follow Me, where we've been seeking to follow Jesus as we go through the gospel according to Mark one chapter at a time, learning and longing to live, love, and lead like Jesus Christ. We're in chapter 7 today. And as we prepare for this sigh, I have a question for you to ponder. Last week, I began with the question of just, do you want to be like Jesus? And as Allison revealed in her two-minute Tuesday, that's not as easy of a question to think about as it seems on the surface. Do you want to be like Jesus? Well, consider this question. Can you believe that Jesus became like us? It's astounding. We long to be like Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus, but it's just completely crazy to think that Jesus willingly became like us. So we ponder over this as we now collectively turn to God's true word as found in Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37 today. Hear now the word of the Lord. 
Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man, a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he he put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he, he touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven. And he sighed. And he said to him, A father, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them, tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were so astonished. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Praise God. Praise God. Why? Does Jesus sigh? Out of a completely loaded chapter this week, with huge head scratchers, including Jesus referring to a woman and her demon-possessed daughter as dogs, the question I couldn't get out of my mind was, why does Jesus sigh? It comes during another astounding account of Jesus healing a man. But this time, it's a man who cannot hear and he cannot talk. He's in the region of the Decapolis. This is Gentile territory. He's proving what he proclaimed true in his encounter before with the woman, the Gentile woman and her daughter. What was proved true was that Jesus didn't come just for Jews. He came for all. He came for all. And so here, he's in Gentile territory. The fame of Jesus goes before him again, and Jesus again finds himself in a crowd. And some people believed. This Jesus, he is the answer. He can heal. If only they put his hand, he put his hand upon this person, he will be healed. The man does not know what's going on. He cannot hear all the excitement and longing in his friend's voice, for he cannot hear. He can look upon Jesus, but he cannot speak to ask him, Who are you? But the gentle hands of our Savior take this man and leads him aside from this crowd. And he connects with this man one-on-one. To any of us, this man would have just been another face in the crowd, completely lost in all the noise and the hubbub. But Jesus sees this man and draws him closer to him and meets with him in this way. And he connects personally with him. And then look at what he does. On first reading, you're like, that's a little weird. Because Jesus puts his hands in this man's ears and he, he, he spits and he, he touches this man's tongue. If someone did that to us, just a man we've never met off the street comes and does that, we're going to call our buddy Chad, the officer Dylan, and say something weird is going on. But this is Jesus. This man couldn't hear. This man 
couldn't speak. This man wasn't sure why he was drawn over to this man. So what does Jesus do in a very intimate and loving way? He is communicating in a way he'll understand. Your ears, which when you put your fingers and ears, you can't hear, and then you release, you all of a sudden can. Your ears, I'm going to open those. That tongue, your tongue tied, your tongue twisted, no, it will be open. I will do this for you. He's communicating in a loving way, a loving way. He is showing the deep empathy of our Savior as he radically identifies with those he comes to save. It also shows Jesus is not at all afraid of getting his hands dirty. (laughs) Amen for that. So Jesus, he looks up to heaven, a sign of prayer, a sign of his constant reliance and dependence and union with God the Father. And he sighs. And then he speaks in the language common to that region and those people. Though the man had never heard it before, he says, Afatha, be opened. Ears, be opened. Tongue, release. He, and the man speaks plainly. How do you know how to speak when you've never heard language? But that's part of the miracle. The word used for the tongue being released it's even deeper than just it being released. What it means is, is the chains of his tongue were broken. Indeed, Jesus breaks every chain. Be opened. Be opened. I love those words. Because what a powerful posture and call for all of us to be open to what Jesus is doing, not just then, but what he is doing right here and right now. What a command, what a posture. Be opened, for the Lord has healed you. Be opened, for the Lord is before you. Be opened. And as happens all throughout scripture, all throughout life, these folks are so overjoyed at this transformation at the hands of Jesus, the healing at the hands of Jesus. They dare not keep it to themselves, no matter how strongly he charges them. Are you kidding me, Jesus? I have to tell someone this. I must tell someone this. It is too good not to share. You just can't keep it to yourself. In fact, I imagine the first words of this man, first words of this man as he stands in the presence of Jesus was to give Jesus praise and thanksgiving. And so they and we are astonished beyond all measure, for Jesus has indeed done all things well. The word used to describe this man's speech We translate it as a speech impediment, that type of thing. Only once, only one other place in all of Scripture is this word used. Mark is intentionally and directly calling us back to what it says in Isaiah 35, where it says the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. And here it is, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. And as you know, it goes on, there will be streams in the desert. There will be this passage. It proclaims, it proclaims to God's people that God will make all things right. And here is Jesus fulfilling what was promised all those years ago. 
he will make streams in the desert where you think there is no hope. There is always hope, and it is found in Jesus Christ. And in this man's life, he came, he showed up, and he made the way for him as Jesus was on his way to the cross to make it right for each and every one of us as he makes streams in the desert. And yet, why does Jesus sigh? He knows he's going to heal this man. He knows he has power over all things and is in complete control. So why does he sigh? Only one other place in all of Scripture doesn't mention Jesus sighing, and it happens to be also in Mark, and it's in the very next chapter. I would love for you to read that and look at that. We're not focusing on that at Ash Wednesday, but I think you'll find it fascinating, his sigh in Mark chapter 8. But we do know this word is used elsewhere. It might not be associated with Jesus, but it's used elsewhere, specifically Romans 8, 22 through 23, where it talks of all of creation groans. All creation groans, and, and, and we groan as we await a new heaven and a new earth and our new heavenly bodies that are free from pain and suffering and sorrow. That word groan is the same as the word used for sigh. All creation groans. All creation groans at the reality of sin. All creation groans at the longing for the completion and the promised redemption that is secured in Jesus Christ. All creation groans for all things are not yet right. It's a word that carries both the deep longing of what's to come and a deep sadness for what has been and what is right now. A sigh that communicates so much. It's pregnant with emotion, isn't it? And here, Jesus Christ is acutely aware as he stands before a man who did nothing at all to earn his way to his ailments. But Jesus is acutely aware of the pervasive destruction of sin that affects everything it touches And so he joins in with all of creation as he sighs. Jesus sighs. Jesus weeps. Jesus bleeds. Jesus breaks. He becomes like us. This is our God. This is our God. This is our God who came to take on the burden of sin and death, the heaviest of weights, fully upon himself to bear it and then to bury it so that our sigh may lead to hope. Jesus sighs for all suffering as a result of humanity's fallenness our fallen state of sin. The brokenness of this world is a direct result of the pervasiveness and effects of sin. In God's design, there is no sorrow. There is no pain. There is no heartache. But sin corrupts that which he deemed very good. And Jesus sighs, for it is not supposed to be this way. But he's not sighing at this poor man before him. He's not sighing at us. Because what Lamentations 3 teaches us is that God directs his anger at sin and brokenness. 
And so we sigh because we know we deal with sin and brokenness every day. Things that we bring about on ourselves and our own giving in to temptation and, and, and not living Christ-like, but also things that just come to us from the fallen and broken state of the world. And here we have Jesus Christ, the only one fully divine, truly God incarnate, and he embraces the fullness of humanity. And he meets us in our pain. He meets us in our anguish, and then he shares in it with us. Jesus Christ gets it. He, he, he's been there. He is with us in there. He sighs in harmony with our sighs, and then he leads us through as Jesus does what Jesus does. Here, a man stands, a man created in the very image of God, a man deeply loved by his creator, sits before Jesus, and yet he cannot speak. He's surrounded by the noise of the crowd and the gentle whisper of our Lord, and yet he cannot hear. And Jesus, knowing full well that he will restore this man, knowing full well he will restore this world, knowing full well that he has come to make all things right, still sighs for the existence of evil and pain and suffering and sorrow in this world that affects the ones he loves. It was not meant to be this way. And now, those who suffer, those he loves, he stands before and he proclaims, I've come to make all things right. So Jesus sighs. And we sigh. And we ache. And we groan because we are acquainted with grief on this side of eternity. Do you know that feeling? You know that grief? It, it tends to reside right here, right? And you sigh, trying for it to go away, and it just stays right here. And it does something up here too, doesn't it? You catch yourself just sighing. It's too heavy to carry. I've been sighing a lot this past week. A lot this past week. My mom, my dad, they have been sighing a lot this past week. My family has been sighing a lot this past week. And we don't have answers. We're in the unknown. We're into the unknown. We're waiting and waiting and waiting on the Lord, and we, we still sigh. We know he'll make things right, and yet we still sigh. And you all sigh because you have burdens too, don't you? You do. I see it in your eyes. I see it and hear it in our talks. And I only get the things you're willing to show and share. But God sees it all. And you sigh because you have griefs. You deal with very difficult and hard things. And some of you are in the thick of it right here and right now. Maybe you sigh because that's all you can do to keep you from weeping. I don't know what trouble you're facing. I don't know what heaviness you're feeling, but I do know that Jesus is sighing right with you. I do know that Jesus and his spirit is right with you. He is close to you. I know it because I'm experiencing it. 
I was captivated by the sigh before I knew I'd be sighing this week. I first read through all of this in preparation over a week ago when I didn't think I'd be preaching on Mark 6. <laughs> Get a jump start on Mark 7. Not so much. But I was captivated by the sigh. Part of my message already written, and then come Wednesday, I'm starting to sigh. And what did I find? Jesus knew I'd be sighing. Jesus was preparing me and protecting me and guarding me and giving me a lifeline for my sigh. And he will do the same for you. Because I do believe even in the deepest of sighs, there is still good news. There's always good news because the good news is a living person in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the good news for us today. As Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, Christ is a man of sorrows. And he is acquainted with the deepest grief. He knows your grief. He knows it fully. He knows your pain. He knows your longing. He knows your need for hope. And so what does he tell us? Well, he said it back in John 16, when he said, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. He has overcome every grief there is to experience, meaning there is an end to every grief and there is a hope in every grief. So we, <laughs> well, he, what did he do? He overcame the cross and he took every grief to the grave and rose again victorious. And he rose us with him as we're reminded of in the waters of baptism, that he makes us clean. He rises us out of our death and into new life. Christ sighs for he knows not everything's right this side of eternity, but he also knows we're more than conquerors in Christ. And we say that knowing that our victory, it's eternal. It's not earthly. It's not promised that all, all things will be swept away here on this side of eternity. But we do know we have a final victory because Christ does not abandon us to our sorrows. He sighs. He meets you in your grief. He is acquainted with deepest grief. He becomes like us and takes his burden upon himself. And he does the messy work of walking with us through our sorrows, through our burdens, through our heartache, through it all toward full restoration that only comes through him. The Lord's mercies absolutely will preserve you. We know it. Lamentations 3 again. It reminds us there are enough divine mercies for every day. His daily mercies are greater than our daily troubles. Maybe you need to hear that again. His daily mercies are greater than our daily troubles. As sure as the sunrise, his mercies will meet you. This morning I, especially Sundays, only Sundays I should say, right Meg? I get up early, <laughs> only Sundays. And I prepare, and I go over my message, and I'll bring Meg a cup of coffee. And, and uh, she had already gotten up because, you know, we have kids, and they, they 
they make you get up when you don't want to. And she already had her cup of coffee, but I was getting her a second cup of coffee. And I said, what coffee mug is that? I didn't recognize it. I forgot we had this mug. And I go to fill up her coffee again, and I turn to it. And Lamentations 3, mercies are new each morning. I can't think of a better reminder as you drink that morning cup. That as fresh as that coffee is, fresher still are his mercies every day. So perhaps for you, when you have that morning cup of coffee or tea or water or whatever it is, you can be reminded daily again that his mercies meet you and are new and sufficient for anything you have to go through that day. Jesus wept. Jesus sighed. Jesus bled. Jesus died. Jesus defeated death through humbling himself and rising victorious. No other God in any religion does any of these things. That's what's so incredible about the one true God, the only true God, about our God, and part of what assures us that he is the one true God. He doesn't shame us for going through trouble. He meets us in our trouble. He gets us. He knows us. He made himself like us to connect with us and save us and then show him the way. Our every need is found buried in him. So seek him in your sorrows. Seek him in your joy. Seek him in your pain. Seek him in your doubts. He is the answer. He is the comfort. He is the victory your soul craves. He has overcome the world. Why don't you say that? Jesus has overcome the world. And so in him, we are more than conquerors. Even in your grief, if it's not realized on this side of heaven, surely forever and ever and every more, it will be. He will meet you in your grief. He will guide you and love you through. And so, even in the sigh, we have an everlasting hope. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Jesus became like us. He has touched every sorrow. He is acquainted with deepest grief. He has touched your sorrow, and he will carry that burden with you. He will bring you through. He is victorious over your sorrow and grief. So when you sigh, when you sigh, remember Jesus' sighs. When you sigh, remember Jesus' sighs. Remember then, what did he do after he sighed? He brought about healing. And he'll meet you in your sigh. And he'll bring you through. So as he commanded to the man, may we take up the command to us to be open. Be open. Be open to the Savior's work and presence in your life. Be open to letting him see you and meet you and carry you through whatever it is you're going through. Be open to the good news of Jesus Christ, that death is defeated, the victory is won, he has made all things right, and he will come again to restore all things to the fullness as he intended. And so we have hope because he's alive. He's our living hope. He will break every chain and he will see you through. May we put our hope alone in Jesus Christ.
Amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Amazing God, you sigh, you weep, you bleed, and you overcome it all. You willingly did this because of your profound and deep and unfathomable love for your creation. And so we give you thanks. And we surrender to you again the things that make us sigh. We surrender to you again the longings upon our heart and our deep and utter need of you. We surrender again the things we're holding on to that we need to release and let go to you and trust to you. And we just want to be and need to be reminded of the good news that is found solely in you. We thank you for your daily mercies and that they are more than sufficient for our daily troubles. Only by the power of your Spirit give us eyes to see you at work, to see your presence in our midst, and to give us the hope to step forward once more. We long to humble ourselves as you humbled yourself, Lord. So not our will be done, but yours, but yours, but yours. We love you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you for what you are doing and how you are bringing people to you and restoring souls. And we say more. Have your way in us and in this place today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let us stand together and sing about that hope that we have in Jesus.